Hello and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you are planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're sharing about two national parks that would be great for the whole family. We think. So, you have something to say. <laughs> yes. You know that because I open my mouth wide and get really close to the microphone and take a deep breath. Go for it, weirdo. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think this is our, going to be our best podcast ever. Why are you so... Be, be, best episode ever, why are you? Why are you so confident? Um... Because, because you did so much preparation. <laughs> no, because you always say m- me and the rest of my family has this one of our greatest gifts is our misplaced sense of overconfidence, right? I don't say that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that. Well, you've definitely said it about me. <laughs> is that that's why you think our podcast is going to be the best? Um how about Mostly, how about because I'm overconfident. It's the best because it's the last podcast of our series. So back when we got home from our trip, in uh, from our year visiting all the national parks in 2016, we started our podcast covering all of the parks in different ways and grouping them in different categories. And today we're finally wrapping that up. Yeah. A year and a half later. Right. So we've really slow walked this thing, drawn it out. <laughs> <laughs> We're just getting to the getting to the good part. Yeah. No, it, it has been uh, really fun for us to go through each park and talk about you know not only our experience but be able to um, draw in some research that we did each episode about the different parks. Um, and if you've been listening, you know how we uh, grouped them into themes for the um you know for a series of four parks or so and then did a top 10 uh, of the parks whether that was top 10 uh backpacking trails or campsites or ranger programs so uh, it's it's been a fun you know journey through our recap of the 59 parks yeah, because we really get to reflect on them in a lot of different ways and from through a lot of different lenses. So this, you know, in the last few episodes here, we've been talking about um, kind of the mass appeal of parks and how we think parks can be for everyone in every situation. And so we talked about ranger programs that appeal to wide audiences. We talked about visiting the park with friends or fam- like a larger group of people. And today, we're moving on and talking about something that we know nothing about, <laughs> but we're going to try to talk about it anyway, and that's visiting national parks with kids. And there's, again, overconfidence. You know, name of the game. <laughs> we got this. Talking about things we really have no right to talk about. Yes. Family. No. Yep. Kids. We know about family. Not as much about having kids. Yes, correct. Or taking... Or leading a family vacation. True. But to be fair, we're going to try it anyway. Now that we are kind of the um, 
maybe more experienced travelers of our family, we are actually leading family vacations now, in a sense. Not with children, still. Not with children. Which is a whole different thing. Um, but we're going we're gonna to go for it anyway. So before we do that, is there anything else you wanted to say about not national parks? Nope. Okay, so let's get on to our parks in the news. Dun, 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 dun. You know, I have actual music that I usually play for that. <laughs> That's fine, though. Okay, so there's this... Um, I saw something in the news today when I was looking at for National Parks News, and they are, you know, there was there was this big ordeal a few months ago where they proposed this huge National Park entrance fee spike. And, and today and yesterday, a lot of people are pushing back on that, and now it's maybe not going to happen. Really? Um, yes. So we don't know anything for sure yet, but it seems like... The, the spikes that were proposed are not going to end up happening. Okay. That's what it's leaning towards. So today, we're not really talking about that. <laughs> okay, good lead in. <laughs> but I wanted to quiz you on ways. So speaking of entrance fees, speaking of visiting the national parks, I wanted to quiz you on all the ways that you can visit national parks for free currently without with totally avoiding the entrance fee how to completely avoid the entrance fee to begin with so i've split this into three categories and there are a couple questions in each category that you have to guess so the first category of ways you can visit the national parks for free are free days at the parks can you name the four free days in 2018 which is down from 10 free days last year and 16 free days the year before they wow. cut it down. They slashed it. Now there are four free days in 2018. Yeah. I, Can and you I guess get, the four? I guess that's because it's no longer the centennial year of 2016. So then you had a whole National Parks week. Mm-hmm. Um, now uh, I think there's just one day. So I'm going to say one of the days is National Parks and Public Lands Day. What? You have to say the day. What? You, do you know the month? Um, I'm going to say it's September. No, no, no. April. (laughs) Those are very different. (laughs) Pick one. April. Okay, so you're kind of right. April 21st is the first day of National Park Week. Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. (laughs) I'm claiming that one. That's one. Okay, and then there's MLK Day in January. Yes. Uh, I don't know, around the late teens of January. 15th. That already happened. And then there's also Veterans Day. Okay. November 11th. November 11th. And then, oh boy, it could be President's Day. I feel like President's Day was one previously, but I don't think that's true anymore. I also felt like Memorial Day was one at some point. Um... No, no, no. Or am I thinking okay, Labor is, Day? You got you to gotta go a little faster. Okay. <laughs> so this is part one. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say 4th of July. I don't know the fourth one. Okay. So the fourth one, you were kind of right when you said 
National Park Day slash National Public Lands Day, April slash September. <laughs> so it's National Public Lands Day, September 22nd is the fourth day. I'll count it. I'm not counting that. <laughs> okay. The second way you can get into the national parks for free are by using free passes. Free passes that are available to certain people. Can you name the one, two, three, four types of free passes? Not the $80 annual pass. The four types of free passes. Go. Ooh, okay. So there's one for seniors. Is that what it's we're talking not, about? That's not free. Well, yeah, it's $10. It's not free. Okay. <laughs> okay, fine. The, the fourth graders one. Yes. Uh, All fourth graders can access, can get a, an annual pass for themselves and their family. Okay. And then the um, veterans one? Yes. U.S. military. Yes. All U.S. military can get an, an annual pass for free. Okay. Veterans or active duty. Uh, or is I, it just active it duty? It might just be active duty. I would have to go back and look that up. Okay. Well, you're not passing then. Nah. <laughs> um, I think there's an access pass. Well, I know there's an access pass, and I think that's free for it is, people for with disabilities. With permanent disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's three of them. Yep. And, one more. And then the fourth one. It's kind of hard. I'm going to say is for National Park employees. No. I don't know about that one. I don't know about that. You might be right, but... The, the fourth one listed on the website is for volunteers. So if you volunteer for 250, if you ha- uh, bank up 250 service hours in the federal lands, you can get a volunteer pass for free to that's, the parks. That's pretty many. That's, that's 38-hour days. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of ways you can do that. Like a lot of people do that in... Um, 31 uh, and a quarter. I mean, there are tons of volunteers in the parks. The parks are very much supported by volunteers. Okay, and the final way, the the biggest way to access the national parks for free is by visiting a free national park. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So do you know the number of national parks that currently are free? Of the 417 national park sites that we've got. Uh, it's the large majority. I'm going to say it's... Can I get a range? No. Nope. Like, can I be within 20? Yeah, I can. <laughs> sure. Uh, within gonna 10. I'm going to say within 25, either way. You just make the rules now <laughs> for, for my game. You can uh, be within five. No. <laughs> You've gotten all the rest of them right, almost. Okay. You're still passing. So, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're just going to fail me at the end, whatever happens. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say 290 within 25 either way. I said within five, (laughs) and you're within nine. Oh, so close. (laughs) All right, fail. (laughs) (laughs) So 299 of the 417 parks are currently free already, always, every day. So that's another way you can access the parks for totally free and avoid all of this entrance fee political nonsense. Yeah. Awesome. Pretty cool. Though and the thing that got me thinking about this is I was thinking about, you know, the the NPS's initiative to get more kids into the park and they set, they set up this program called Every Kid in a Park where fourth graders can t- can get an annual pass for themselves and their family, which is huge, which is I mean it's $80 normally. Um, but that means the whole car of people can get into the parks. 
um, if you brought a fourth grader with you. So speaking of kids in the parks, that was going to be my segue into our topic today, which is family-friendly national parks. Dun, 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 dun. We don't need more music. <laughs> <laughs> We're d- <laughs> it's terrible music. <laughs> dun, dun. Okay. Um, yeah, is that for so the kids it, listening? Yeah, that's for that's for me when I listen back. Um, no, I think it is ir- ironic here a little bit that we are the first park we're talking about is the first park we went to in our year long fifty nine parks trip, and it was um, so it really makes it first full circle. And I've never thought about that. Before. <laughs> Okay, I, so it's really funny. That, it was the first thing I wrote down, and Cole doesn't read my notes. <laughs> but so she just pointed to it in in the notes, and I'm like, oh, it was, uh, great minds <laughs> think alike. Yep. So the very first park we visited, very last park we're talking about on the podcast, Great Sand Dunes National Park. Great Sand Dunes. So if you think about this, it kind of makes sense why it's um, such a great park for family. First of all, it's really tough to get hurt on sand. <laughs> That's true. So, kind of, I mean, yeah. Yeah, kind of. Kids, I did get kids a, can flop around everywhere. I did get my only injury. Oh, you did, didn't I, you? Well, that's because I, I took my shoes off and stepped on a prickly pear walking back to the car. Yeah, and um, you know, our shoes were full, full, full of sand. So she thought it was a good idea to take her shoes off and walk through. I was walking on my socks because my feet were really, really tired. That was the day that through the area that was sand and like a bunch of vegetation, meaning prickly pears everywhere. Not a great idea. It was was our first park guys. (laughs) It was a really deep spine. We had to really dig it out. You know, but I was okay. Use, use the... We used our first kit. I think that's the only time all year we used our first aid kit. Probably. Um, anyway, so just to back up a little bit. So we do have some things we talked about or that we thought about as we were determining these parks that would be good for families. And full disclaimer, we are not parents. I am a teacher. I am around kids all day, but that does not mean I know how to travel with children by any means. Um, but we often looked through, looked at parks through the lens of, you know, possibly bringing our kids back to parks. So we did think about it a lot because we want to have kids in the future. And so that was, it was sometimes on our mind. It wasn't always on our mind, but we sometimes thought, you know, this would be a really fun park to come back to with kids. Um, and so we kind of thought about parks that were centered around like fun or, or had a lot of fun, active sort of things that went beyond just hiking. Um, also not very crowded or like chaotic parks. And also parks that were ten- were a little bit smaller and more like swallowable, if that makes sense. So that it's not just like this huge undertaking. You can kind of Take your time in one spot as far as opposed to running around from place to place all across this gigantic park. So we those were kind of our criteria. Fun activities, not overly crowded, and small-ish. Yeah, and I would say, number one, Great Sand Dunes definitely hits all of those. Yep. Um, fun activities out the wazoo. 
sand sledding, uh, running around on the dunes and running down the huge dunes and playing in uh, making sand castles and just messing around. Yeah, and, and they have a little creek that you can play that in the summer is full of water and you can um, float down uh, yeah. or just sit in and. Um, the creek actually has uh, something called surge flow, where it um, you know builds up these walls of sand just by moving the sand around with the water, and then all of a sudden the walls of sand uh, just naturally are knocked over by the buildup of mm-hmm. water behind them. So it creates this rush of water uh, down the creek, and it can be as high as like two or three feet. Uh, from what I remember. Yeah, like a wave, yeah. kind of. So it's yeah. a, this just fun little phenomenon mm-hmm. uh, with the surge flow and makes it even more fun to play in the creek. Um, yeah, also some some easier trails that were not crowded at all to get you off of the beaten path, which the beaten path is like the, the very main day use area of the dunes um, where people are running up and sand sledding and... Um, and trying to sandboard <laughs> like us, we if if they were like us, we failed a lot at that. Um, but if you if you just go on some of the shorter hikes, uh, those are also easy and very doable for a lot of people, and and that's kind of like an add on activity, I think. Um, it's definitely it was not it's not a super crowded park. It especially if you go on the weekdays or in the off peak. So we went in August when it was still very hot um, and it was still kind of peak. Um, and it's even then it really wasn't that crowded. Um, but if you go, you know, not in the summer or on a weekday, you'd probably be pretty good. Yeah, and um, there are some fun surrounding activities too. Mm-hmm. So we went to Zapata Falls State Park, which is right outside the entrance. Um, it, it's kind of a long approach through a pretty rough gravel road, but our car handled it no problem. So if you can get up that road, um, it's definitely worth checking out this uh, really cool waterfall also not crowded and just a good little add-on because the rest of the park doesn't really have water waterfalls in the main area Mm -hmm. it's just something different to do also we were able to camp there and i think reserve a site yes so right at at, um great sand dunes the sites were i believe first come first serve am i right on that or am I making that up? The the sites there's only one campground and it's pretty small, so camp sites were harder to find at Great Sand Dunes. Um, so Zapata Falls was an was an alternative method we used. Yeah. So how did what was your favorite thing in the park? I think so. Th- this park was full of like a lot of a lot of like highs because it was all first stuff that we were experiencing, like first time hiking. Um, as far as our 59 national park trip, so in our year. Um, But I think my favorite part was just hiking on the dunes and away from the people. So what we did is we slept two nights in the dunes, in the dune field. So we were able to get a backcountry pass to sleep anywhere in the dune field as long as we crossed over the first big ridge. So we had to climb up 
and over the first big ridge. But once we were up and over that, it was like another world. There are no footprints, um, no other people. I mean, there were a couple, a handful of other tents, um, but we couldn't see them at all from where we were camping. And just waking up that, that morning and climbing up and seeing just the like completely, I don't know, footprintless like peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys of this massive dune field was so just pristine. really, really crazy cool. And um, yeah, like she said, it was really nice to get on the other side of this big, uh, as you're facing the dune field, there's a big kind of ridge and wall of dunes. So right after you get past that, you can camp anywhere. And you also, as you get past that, leave all the crowds behind. Um, so definitely recommend whether you are camping or not to at least hike past that first ridge. It's a it, tough climb no matter where you access it, but very worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I highly recommend, like that was one of my favorite campsites. I think it made our top 10 campsites episode for sure. Um, it was just an incredible experience camping in the dunes and uh I would also say it was unforgettable for me. If you have any kids, like this is going to be one of those experiences that is imprinted on their childhood. I guarantee it. Oh, for sure. Because um, to wake up and in, in like we woke up in the middle of the night and just kind of I woke up in the middle of the night and like maybe went to the bathroom or something. And you just it's silent it's like dead quiet quieter even than when you're in the woods and there are animal noises this is just sand it's just sand and it's just the most like heavy silence ever and it it was it was kind of windy so it was almost like a little bit spooky for us um but still definitely like you said definitely would be an unforgettable experience for anyone Yeah, and the second night especially was super windy, and it was buffeting our tent everywhere to the point where you said you thought... I was having dreams, (laughs) like half awake, half asleep dreams, where we were just buried in sand, where our tent was just getting buried in sand, and of course it wasn't at all. (laughs) Um, That was just part of my dream, but pretty crazy experience. So no matter whether it's, you know, the perfect night and beautiful or just a harsh you know windstorm it's going to be memorable no matter what um so recommend getting the backcountry permit to camp in the dunes make sure you do go to the visitor center and get the backcountry permit uh asap because they do fill up especially in the peak season there aren't many spots in to camp in the dune field um, Even though there are actually a million spots to camp. <laughs> they don't give very many permits every day. There's a limited number. So beyond the camping, uh, there's our highlights were uh, hiking to High Dune, which we did one morning. Uh, really a nice hike where you just get up along this dune ridge and kind of follow it all the way to the second highest dune and can see just so far out over the 30 square miles of undulating sand Mm -hmm. um 
one we were, I think, the second and third people up there. There was one other person up there kind of watching the sunrise. And then a few more people came up and a few more people came up. But it was still a pretty small group. And it was just very, very serene morning. I liked being already in the dunes. Um, but you can also easily, easily hike up from the from the parking lot area. One of the lowlights, I would say, was trying to make it to the highest dune, which was Star Dune. Yep. Uh, we, as mentioned, camped in the middle of the dune field on one end of the dunes and then essentially tried to traverse the whole dune field to the other side. I mean, it wasn't... Ex- it wasn't the full length, but it sure felt like it, and it just kept hitting like. Fu- and there's no signs, of course. You know, you're in the middle of a, a signless, pathless dune field, so you think you're headed in the right direction. You have some sort of map, maybe a GPS, like we did, um, but no points of reference really. And we just kept getting to false summit after false summit, and eventually. Uh, it had gotten up to, uh, I mean, the sun was high and, and the hand, sand was heating up and we were running out of water from, mm-hmm. you know, the evening before and um, <laughs> we had turned back and that was actually the closest we got to getting dehydrated, I'd say, the whole trip. Yeah, it was it was a crazy first park experience because it was kind of some of those like, scarier moments of our whole entire trip were that first park and we had nothing we had like literally no other problems the whole time um but those two things like the the water thing was definitely big we like we ended up you know making it back to the creek where we had our water filter our life straw and we could just drink straight from that um and so that was helpful we didn't have to you know hike another half a mile or another mile or so to the to back to the uh, parking lot we could just use our water filter and drink straight from the cold creek that was nice and when we did get back to the parking lot and went to talk with the ranger she said you tried to get from there to there uh so <laughs> we did. apparently we hard. <laughs> yeah we are more ambitious than even we realized yep um because she was uh surprised that we even attempted that type of hike because as you can imagine, hiking in sand, you know, f- four miles on sand, uh, one way sounds, and I don't know if it's a full four miles, but maybe one way, maybe three and a half, a lot tougher than on ground. Yeah, and you're just constantly going up these very, very, very steep little dunes and then straight down the dune and then up and then down, and it's very, very tough. Um, so, yeah, that was that was still a good a good experience. Overall, just hiking in the dunes, you know, we had a mission and we failed and that's maybe why it's more memorable to us. But if you don't, if you're just, you know, hiking to hike in the dunes, that would be a pretty good experience, I think. And one of the things I, you know, just the things that stick out in your head about uh, going to the sand dunes is sandboarding and sand sledding. So that was one of those things that I knew we wouldn't really get to do. That was one of those things that I knew we re-
that was one of those things that I knew we wouldn't really get to do anywhere else. Uh, so we had to try it out. And um, like Elizabeth uh, alluded to, it was a lot <laughs> tougher, tougher than it looked. And not tough, just not fun. Uh, you <laughs> just really, very slow going. Yeah. So you have this board wax that you need to put on the bottom of the board. And it is really crucial. You really have to slather it on thick. Um, and it's less of a slathering and more of just a rubbing. Um, rub it on thick. And even then, then you have to stay on the thing after you are able to actually slide. So, um, you know, the, it was maybe a little overhyped for what we had built up in our minds, but... Still, still definitely worth it. Still worth and it. And still a great uh, thing to just play around with the kids. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the other thing I want to mention before we move on is that we, our first big hike of the whole trip was in the Music Pass area of the park, which is actually around on the other side, and we did it first. So we drove um, straight to the trailhead the first night and camped at the trailhead and hiked up to a trail called Upper Sand Creek Lake, I believe. And um, it was about, it ended up being like a 16 mile hike that day because part of it you have to hike up the road if you don't have a four wheel drive car um, and then up to the Music Pass trailhead and then on to Lower Sand Creek Lake and Upper Sand Creek Lake. And we just kind of kept going until we got there. And it was a beautiful mountain lake. And just that area over there, any of those trails, there are a lot of a lot of um, alpine trails on that side of the park that are just really, really pretty. So I would definitely check out the Music Pass Trailhead um, if you want a longer hike. But it's not close to the dunes. Like it's, it is by land, but by car, it's, it's a few hours away. It's also not the best for a family just because it's right. a rigorous hike. Definitely. Um, we tried to mountain bike up a, a little bit of it, if you remember that part, because there it starts with like gravel road. That's and, laughable. Yeah, now. and we tried to bike up it a little ways, and first of all, it was really rocky, and second of all, it was all uphill, which made it really hard uh, to do tough gravel biking. Um Anyway, the, it, but it was, it was a, a fun like half mile to bike back. <laughs> yeah, on our way back when we because we stashed our bikes. That whole first day was very ambitious because we drove in and got to the campsite at the foot of the trail or the trailhead at like one a.m. or something mm-hmm. very late. Left early in the morning and just started climbing ridiculous amounts. Uh, 16 miles on our first day, a few days after, uh, I mean, the first trail we did in Colorado and... After driving through yeah, Missouri and Kansas. Two days after leaving uh, for on our trip. Anyway, good memories. But we had a lot of energy. We were very excited to get going with our trip. Yeah, yeah, that is all, adre- all adrenaline. So Great Sand Dunes was a, definitely a good start to our trip. We definitely had sand in our car for the rest of the 59 parks. <laughs> and the only other thing I'd mention on Great Sand Dunes is I think it's hilarious that we the we wrote two posts on each park uh, for all 59 parks. So it was one regular blog post talking about a different aspect of the park and then one video 
that we just did a montage of all our different experiences and um, some voiceover on most of them. Uh, but in Great Sand Dunes, because it was number one and we were super uh, like gung-ho, we wrote a third post that was just more of a offbeat uh, kind of filler post, and it was called The Six Eccentricities of Great Sand Dunes National Park. And I think it's hilarious that to this day, it is our second most popular blog post behind a, pl- a post that was talking about not even the national parks, but the five best hiking trails in Kansas City. So... <laughs> Um, and this is a dumb post. I mean, okay, it's very good. Cole wrote it. <laughs> it's, 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 but it's not that interesting. In- it's fascinating it's to like, me. F- it's like fa- fun facts about sand, great sand dunes. Yeah, stuff like um, you should definitely check it out. <laughs> right, stuff <laughs> like the surge flow that we talked about. Stuff like the endemic species and the certain types of beetles that only live in the dunes. Stuff like the flower season that we hit because the dunes are actually full of these golden sunflowers when we went in August. And um, probably my favorite is when lightning strikes the sand dunes, it melts together the sand around the strike point and it leaves this um, petrified petrified cylinder of sand. Or yeah, yeah. So, anyway, super cool. Check out the post. <laughs> up our up our viewers a little bit. Yeah, it's got uh, eleven thousand or so <coughs> um, visits, uh, as opposed to you know <laughs> a good amount less for all of the actual posts that we yeah, wrote I think after it, that. I think it got SEO'd pretty heavy because we were into that when we first started blogging. So. Um, Pretty cool. Good job, Cole. Good yeah. blog. Good blogging we did for one park. Right. <laughs> and not since then. Started strong. Yeah. But now, speaking of starting strong and then fizzling away, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. We kept going strong and we're on to our second park we're going to be talking about today. The second park that really stood out in our minds as far as possibly bringing a family back someday. And that is Carlsbad Caverns. Yes, Carlsbad Caverns was uh, a park we went to in March or so. It was uh, one of those... February. Okay, end of February, thank you. Mm -hmm. In New Mexico, the very southern edge of New Mexico, very close to Guadalupe Mountains National Park, which is in Texas, so those make a great pair. Uh, Guadalupe Park is all about the national park... Guadalupe Mountains National Park (laughs) is all about the mountains, and Carlsbad Caverns is, as you can imagine, all about the mountains. So, (laughs) (laughs) just kidding. It's all about the caverns. He really built that up. (laughs) No. um, So, there's amazing caverns underneath this section of New Mexico, and uh, one of the best pieces of it, or the aspects of it, is that it is manageable. It's a very um, observable cave in that you, it's not like there are tons of 
passages and you you know would get lost down there it's really big it's grandiose and uh, you go into these ginormous rooms um, the big room yeah <laughs> that are For just example chock full of formations and it's almost like a museum that you're walking through because there's so many um, I mean it's just nature on display yeah the cave itself is very accessible um, you don't even have to have a ranger like unlike the other caves in in most most of the other caves in the national parks you have to have a ranger guided tour to explore them this one you can actually do self-guided there's a trail that goes all around the big room there's also a trail that leads into the park through the natural entrance um, and it's just like a bunch of switchbacks and both of those trails we would recommend and I think you could do both with with most kid most ages of kids um, the natural entrance of course the switchbacks get a little steep coming back up um, but if you take your time it should be fine and again so you don't have to it's just very easy and and uh, the, the path around the big room is very flat and paved and you can just look at these gigantic amazing formations and they're so close and they don't seem like they're real or the cave doesn't seem like it's possible but but it is and it's amazing and it's really set up to be viewed right and to be seen right and then beyond the cave which we'll go into our experience in a second but there is more stuff beyond the cave there's a short scenic drive uh, and then there's a few small trails granted I'll admit if you want to do hiking like if that's your family's thing not the best place to go you know this is all about you can do hiking underground but if you like the if you want to find some scenic trails um, check out Guadalupe Mountains um, yeah like we said earlier they're a really good pair um, to visit because they're only about 30 minutes away from each other. You can do your hiking at Guadalupe Mountains. You can do your caving at Carlsbad, and it makes a good a good match, a good um, a good road trip combination. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about some of our experience? Sure. One more thing I think that would be really fun that we talked about with a family. Yes. Um, is the bat program, and I think that's worth mentioning, even though we didn't get to experience it ourselves. Um, We'd love, I mean, it, it seems like just this awesome, unique thing. So there's, in the summer, I think from about, what, April to October, I, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't throw out dates. Um, Cole will look them up really quick instead. <laughs> <laughs> On it. But they have this the ranger program held at this little amphitheater outside of the cave entrance where they talk a little bit about the bats in Carlsbad. And then during the program... It, they time the program to be during the bats feeding time. So just, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of bats just swarm out of the cave during the program. And you can really see them in action. Um, do you, did you look up the months? Yeah, so it's mid to late April through October. Um, and the actual, the, they have a program where you can actually... You know, have some interpretation. It says there's starting start- Memorial Day weekend. Oh, okay. So, gotcha. and then through that program piece goes through October, but the bats themselves start coming out of the cave 
to uh, all at once in mass numbers like a cloud in the sky um, in April to to feed for the night. Mm -hmm. And actually the story of how this um, cave was discovered relates to those bats. Yeah, that's true. This uh, rancher or, or cowboy or something just saw these bats streaming out, you know, and thought it was a cloud on the horizon. But as he got closer, he realized that these were actually all bats and that they were all coming from this central hole in the ground. So that is how the cave was first discovered by white men. Um, I believe that there it was discovered long ago by the Native Americans. Yeah, so as far as our experience at Carlsbad, um, we did some of the things we just talked about, not the bat program because we visited too early, but we did do the natural entrance trail. We did the big room trail, um, those those self-guided hikes uh, through the cave. We also joined the King's Palace guided tour, which is only $8, and that was really interesting. Um, and that takes you to a restricted section of the cave and lets you just have access to more, and the ranger talks you through everything. Um, then we also, Cole did another cave tour. Do you remember what that one was called? Yeah, that was called the Wild Cave Tour. Are you sure? Was it Left Hand Tunnel? Um, yes. <laughs> when I looked, I called it Wild Cave Tour, and then I looked on the website, and there is nothing called Wild Cave Tour. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure... I think it, what you did was called Left Hand Tunnel, and that's the strenuous tour. No, I was pretty sure it was called the Wild Cave Tour. Okay, you know maybe they changed the names, but you did do a, you did do something that was strenuous, and it was probably called Wild Cave Tour because a lot of them are called Wild Cave Tour um, in the other parks too. So. You, you guys will just have to go read the ranger tour, uh, the guided tour schedule and the descriptions to see the one that fits you best. But they do have a variety of programs available if you want to access more of the cave um, in a way, like with a ranger, in a way that's a little more strenuous than just walking on the paved path. We also, what we did, which it was funny to see the ranger pull out the binder of permits and like blow the dust off off of the binder because oh. nobody sleeps in the backcountry. <laughs> but I have a very vivid memory of him looking like, okay, you really want a backcountry permit? Okay, I guess I'll pull out this ancient binder because of they don't regulations. Have, they don't have a campground. And one of the things that we tried to do in every park and we only so was camp, uh, stay a night in the national park because our whole philosophy was really experience the park you know, for, again, about four days in each park on average. And one of the big things we tried to do was spend the night, get the full experience, be immersed. So we only missed like six or so. Um, I think that's a bad estimation. But we did, a, we did most parks. We were able to sleep in most parks. Oh, absolutely. It wasn't many at all. It was like... Um, well, let's go through them really quick. Kobuk Valley, Gates of the Arctic. Because those were all, um, you know, you had to fly there. And then, um, I guess, American Samoa, we did the homestay program. American Samoa. And then the 
um, Mammoth Cave. Mm-hmm. We it was too close to my parents, so we chickened out on that one. Yep. And then Biscayne Bay, uh, where we couldn't get to. The, they didn't have a concessionaire ferry to go to the main area, and they didn't have uh, campgrounds on the coast. Is that really it? I'm pretty sure that's it. Not that anybody huh. cares about this, <laughs> but anyway. Anyway, that's. I mean, that that tell, gives you a little bit of insight into how dedicated we were to sleeping in the parks, and we really wanted to sleep in in um, inside Carlsbad Caverns National Park, not in the cavern, obviously, um, but in the in the hiking area. But without without that type of motivation, um, I really don't recommend camping in the park um, no I don't because either. i mean it was nice because it was free and it wasn't that hard you basically had to go down the short scenic drive pull off and hike in a half mile then hike a hundred yards away from the trail and find try to find a patch of land that was not covered by cacti uh, yeah prickly pears or really sharp rocks so it was pretty though, and it was scenic, and we were yeah. all alone, and um, it was it was a nice quiet night, and it was easy as far as backpacking goes to just you know hike our way out there. Um, but yeah, wouldn't wouldn't highly recommend it, but I, I, I we did enjoy it, and it was yeah it was good to get that experience in the park, being in you know in the natural part above the cave. Yeah, and then going back underground, um, I have been looking, and I really don't think they have the same wild cave tour that I did. Um, so they do change up the tours now and then, so it's not on the website now. Um, so I guess maybe I shouldn't tantalize everybody with it. But uh, it, it, I do like whether you're, uh, no matter what type of, tour you're on i like getting off the paved trails and really experiencing the wild cave where you don't necessarily have you know all of these um established paths Uh, it's still a very known route that the ranger's taking you on but it just feels different um when you're going you know somewhere in in a wild cave so I, i like that type of um more natural feel yeah and you get you can climb around and really um you know see some stuff that not many people see at all so i definitely recommend you know usually we tried to do a popular tour which was the king's palace one which Mm -hmm. was a paved path but it was like she said a restricted area so it was just good to see the different side of things and they usually have a few really cool features that they show off like in this one it had i think it was called the queen's room or something queen's queen's throne room yeah something like that and it was just amazing an amazing room that really did look like a bunch of thrones mm-hmm. there and so just those types of features are what make the tour worthwhile in addition to the ranger interpretation um, so yeah, they also have candlelight tours mm-hmm. or, or lantern tours. I mean, uh, so those provide a interesting, 
you know, different way to experience. And uh, I and think again, it's one of those memorable things that families e- would remember. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that's really why it's worth um, spending a little, just a little extra to do a tour and uh, maybe getting a little different flavor than just walking through the regular um, path. Mm-hmm, definitely. As far as other caves, so I was trying to think of the other caves we visited in the national parks, and this I think what this one was definitely my favorite um, because it's just so in it's still it's like so obvious it's it's just such obvious beauty. <laughs> it's like right there. It's magnificent. It's grand. It's huge. It's easily accessible and it's 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 just something that um you don't think exists underground but it's it's magnificent and to give you a sense of scale the big room is the biggest uh cavern room single room in the western hemisphere and it's the size of 17 football fields so this thing <laughs> is gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really cool to just explore. Yeah, on, you won't get on, too on claustrophobic <laughs> in this cave as opposed to other caves you might visit. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Mammoth Cave. <laughs> Wild cave tour. Army crawling through water on my belly. Didn't 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 love that. <laughs> that yeah, that's why you didn't. Up that for is, the wild cave tour this time. I felt like I could, yeah, I felt like I could sit out of this one, of the wild cave tour this time around. Don't regret that decision. So for me, when I think about going back to Carlsbad Caverns with a family, I would definitely want to go back for the bat flight. That would be sh- a priority. Yeah, that I feel like that would be so cool to experience with kids. Uh, obviously, the caverns would be as well, but... Um, the bat flight is something that's on my back bucket list, kids or not. Um, <laughs> and then also one of the areas that we didn't experience was the uh, Slaughter Canyon Cave. So that's just a separate entrance to the park, kind of a side entrance that has its own, uh, a different uh, cave and a different tour for that cave. So that would be one I'm interested in, too. Definitely. We've got some unfinished business at Carlsbad, having to do with uh, families and just ourselves. (laughs) So if you want to see a little bit more of what we've been describing, I'm going to remind everybody that we have those videos for each of these parks. Uh, We... Um, you know, both Great Sand Dunes and Carlsbad Caverns. If you search those on our blog, you can read the blog post for one, including the wonderful eccentricities post uh, that is so popular. But what I really do love, um, partially because it took so much work, is the videos that really I think give people a perspective of what the park is like, a bunch of different shots of the park. Um, So make sure. And it's just, you know, from our perspective, it's not professional. They're not professional. They're just iPhone videos. And we've just kind of thrown together some things. Um, But we give a little bit of, at least in some of the videos, we give a little narration. We give a little insight into what we were doing, what we were seeing, and then just some of the, the background context for understanding the national park. 
And the easiest way to do that is just to go to YouTube and search Switchback Kids plus the name of the park. Yeah. I think that's the easiest way to find the videos. They're also all on our blog, though. And on our blog, they have a little introduction and some background info. Um, also, if anybody can tell me how many times the music of our great sand dunes video loops in that one video, I'll uh, send you a special prize. <laughs> Will you? Yeah, sure. It's pretty. It's pretty obnoxious looping music. <laughs> you probably will get a lot of. Uh, a is lot it, of emails. Back. Is our very, um, well, it's the first one. So oh, okay. it's our, it, the race it's is on. Gotcha. Um, but it was our first video, and it, it was, you know, some room for improvement with yeah, the first. Of course. We're always learning. So that's our discussion on family friendly national parks. Again, we don't have a huge amount of insight into giving, we, we didn't feel like we wanted to give a lot of advice and tips and, and things because we obviously don't have a lot of experience in this realm. Um, but because we thought about the parks in a sense of if we came back, what would we do if we had, a, you know, if we had little kids and if we had um, a bigger family, we were able to kind of categorize two of these parks as family friendly parks. And so I hope you enjoyed our discussion on Great Sand Dunes and Carlsbad Caverns. So thanks for checking us out today. We'll be back soon with more National Parks inspiration and maybe a special interview. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or find us on social media at Switchback Kids. And you can always get additional National Parks videos, post guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks, Switchbacks out. out.